Good morning to all of you who are here at Central Campus and also those of you who are tuning in from our other campuses around the city in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, Crowfoot, also those of you involved in our home church network, as well as those of you who are watching online in the Calgary area and from different parts of the world. You know, as I have talked with people over the years, my observation is, is that most people feel very obscure. Obscurity is that feeling that you have inside that says, whatever I do doesn't really matter. Oh, sure, I might meet my employer's job expectations, and as a stay-at-home mom, I might help my kids stay healthy and keep them from killing each other. But I'm really not all that... Uh, not, there's not much that I do that really has any lasting eternal impact. Now, if you're a Christ follower here today, and you're thinking that way, then you've got some stinking thinking to deal with, because that is not how God sees you. In God's eyes, you aren't a pauper. No, you are a child of the King. Amen? And you are still here, and you're not in heaven, because Jesus is actually living in you. And he wants to live his life and his purposes through your life. And there are few verses in Scripture that communicate this better and what his purpose for us is than our Scripture lesson today in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In this passage, Jesus is saying, as your life increasingly reflects the supernatural characteristics of the beatitude life, which we looked at just recently, you will be my witnesses. You will be a person of influence who will point others to God and to the truth of God. Like salt, your life, an example will serve to preserve goodness and purity, and it will add flavor to life. Like salt, it will create thirst in others to examine their beliefs and their values and to seek God and the ways of God. But that's not all, says Jesus. You are also the light of the world. Talk about significance. Now make no mistake, we are not the source of the light. Jesus is the source of the light. He said, I am the light of the world. Without him there is no light at all. John 1.8 says, the true light that gives light to every man is coming into the world. Jesus is the true light and in this Christmas season we celebrate the fact that he came to earth to give light to all people. Jesus is the real light. We just reflect his light and his life. We're like a diamond in this regard. A diamond in a dark room is flat. It lacks life. It's really nothing to look at. Without light, a diamond has little value and is lifeless. It is the light that makes it come alive with beauty. It is the light that makes it incredibly valuable. And in the same way, you see, our value as Christ followers is found in the light of the world, Jesus. 
And even though we are not the light, when we reflect the true light, we come alive with the beauty and the life of Jesus. And so the question is, what did Jesus mean here when he said, you are the light of the world? Well, again, we're really not sure, but based on some of the additional things he says in verses 15 and 16, as well as what we read in other passages, it's likely that Jesus was referring to one or more of the uh, following word pictures. First of all, a light is meant to be seen. Look again at Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may, what? See your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, let your light shine. You have been saved to shine. You are a city on a hill. The light in you cannot be hidden. In verse 15, Jesus goes on to say that in the same way that a lamp is meant to shine brightly on its stand, so Christ's followers are meant to reflect the light of Jesus within us. Christianity is something which is meant to be seen. In the same way that salt is useless, regardless of how potent salt may be, it is useless unless it gets out of the salt shaker. So light is useless unless it's seen in and through our lives. You know, we often divide our lives into two realms. We, we divide it into the spiritual realm and the secular realm. We divide it into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And when we engage in the spiritual realm, like when we go to perhaps our, our Bible study or our small group, or when we go to a worship service like this, we don't really do this consciously, but we, we sort of switch uh, on the light switch and our light shines brightly in that context. But then on Monday we go to work or we go to school and we turn our spiritual light switch off. We cover up the spiritual light so often and kind of go into hiding, go incognito. And yet what Jesus is saying here is that our spiritual light should be on all the time, wherever it is we find ourselves. Every morning when we get up, we need to specifically ask Jesus to fill us with the Holy Spirit and that he would shine through us wherever it is that life takes us. And having prayed that prayer, it is so important that we believe that Jesus is actually responding to our prayer, that we are consciously aware throughout the day that he is in us and that he is using us in some small way or significant way as we interact with people throughout our day. If you are a Christ follower, do you realize that you are the light of Jesus to the waitress at the restaurant you're having breakfast at? Are you giving her eye contact? Are you making her feel special and valued in the way that you interact with her? Do you sincerely thank her and leave her a generous tip? 
If she's single and attractive, I'm sure that you single guys will do that automatically and effortlessly. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being consciously aware that in that moment, you are the light of Jesus to her. Years ago, I met a, a man at his office to go out for lunch together and, and happened to witness just a short interaction that he had with, with his assistant. And, and based on the disrespectful and unkind way that he interacted with her, it was obvious to me that, that he didn't yet make the connection that Jesus calls us to be light at the office or wherever it is we may find ourselves. Over the years, I've had many spouses. I've had young people say to me, you know, my spouse or my dad or my mom, they look like they're such spiritual giants at church. But you have no idea how angry, how abusive, how manipulative, how cruel, how unkind and insensitive he or she is at home. Nothing snuffs out our light in others like hypocrisy. And Jesus is saying here, we are his visible light wherever it is we go. We are his light as we interact with the clerk at the shopping mall. We are his light as we interact with our fellow employees and also with our employer. We are his light as we drive during rush hour. Now, we're not his horns, uh-uh. We're his light. As we watch a sporting event, as we interact with people on the phone, even people who really test our patience, we are his light. A light is meant to be seen. Now, look at verse 16. Jesus says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Notice Jesus draws our attention specifically to our good deeds. Few things cause our light to shine more brightly in the lives of others than when we join together with our family or friends or a small group and get our hands dirty serving those in need. The people at our Northwest Campus, hello Northwest Campus, uh, they're stepping out together this next week to serve their community. E every night this coming week, Families, small groups are serving in their community in some way. They're, they're shoveling walks. They're having people from their neighborhood over for Christmas dinner or dessert. They're blessing the needy with food hampers. They're providing baked goods and singing carols for shut-ins. I love what all of our campuses are doing this time of year, but also what we're doing throughout the entire year to bless our city and our communities, like providing meals for those who have a family in the hospital, helping people move or repair their fence, providing food hampers, providing rent money for those who are in financial need, helping someone get their car started in the cold, praying for and just being present with those who have faced a loss or are facing some other crisis. The list is as long as the needs God brings to our attention. But few things make our spiritual lights shine more brightly than when we step out and put our faith in action. Lee Strobel tells about a letter that he received from a man 
who was an atheist and had absolutely no interest in spiritual matters. This atheist lived next door to a man who was a Christian. And they had the typical relationship that neighbors in our Western culture have. They would wave politely to each other from time to time. On occasion, rarely, but on occasion, they would have a little bit of a light conversation about the weather over the fence. And of course, at times, they would borrow tools from each other. But then the atheist's wife became sick with cancer. And she died three months later. Now listen to the letter that he wrote after she died. I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service was like I was in a trance. And after the service, I went to the path along the river and I walked all night. But I did not walk alone. My neighbor, afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He did not speak. He did not even walk beside me. He just followed me. When the sun finally came up over the river, he came up to me and said, let's go and get some breakfast. I go to church now. I go to my neighbor's church. A religion that can produce the kind of caring and love that my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to be like that. I want to love and be loved like that the rest of my life. Church, if you want to be salt and light, extend Jesus' love and compassion to those in your life and to those that Jesus brings across your path. Yes, it may require more than you're prepared to give. It may even get messy. It might not turn out the way that you had hoped it might. But do it anyways. When you encounter someone with a need, let not your first question be, what is this going to cost me? No, ask, what would Jesus do in this situation? Let not your first question be, Oh man, if I respond to this need, what's going to happen to my plans? No, let the question be, what's going to happen to this person if I don't care and if I don't respond? A light is meant to be seen. Furthermore, a light serves as a guide. You know, in a room that's pitch dark, and I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations, if you're in a pitch dark room and you're unfamiliar with that room, you don't march across that room with confidence. You inch your way across that room, hoping that you're not going to fall off something or smash into something. On the other hand, flip on the light in that room, and you're going to have no problem walking boldly across that room because the light serves to guide you. And so it is with the Christian. You know, I don't want you to feel paranoid or anything, but if you're a Christ follower, you're being watched. You're being watched by those who are far from God, who are wondering if you're the real deal. But you're also being watched by other believers who are looking for role models 
of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Someone who has the courage to take a stand, to do what's right and true, to do what's wholesome and and praiseworthy, even if it means being shunned. I'm not talking about those who have a smug and self-righteous attitude and are just spoilers of good fun. No, I'm talking about those who realize that we are not an island unto ourselves. That our actions may influence others for good or for bad. And are sensitive to those things which may make sin easier for a person who is weaker or younger in the faith. When I was in my early teens, I saw someone that I looked up to spiritually come out of a theater showing an X-rated movie. That had a profound negative impact on me spiritually at that time. As a younger teen, I can still remember hearing the gutter talk, the descriptions of drunkenness and partying and the immoral sexual activity that was going on in bars and nightclubs from church-going young adults who I assumed loved Jesus. And I remember how disillusioned and how disappointed I felt. You see, these people had no idea how their example influenced me as a young man just to continue to be self-centered and to lower my standards and to give in to temptation. But I am also thankful for the many others as I was growing up who had the opposite effect in my life. Key people that God brought across my path whose lifestyle and whose values and whose convictions created a thirst in me to know Jesus more, to live all out for Him and to put the interests of others ahead of my own. I'm thankful for those in our church today whose lives serve to guide and inspire so many others to greater devotion to Jesus Christ. People who stood in the middle of a village ravaged by poverty in some third world country and as they watched children and pregnant mothers scouring for clean water and for scraps of food heard God ask them what are you going to do with what I've given you? People who in that moment realized that God has a purpose far greater for their life than the pursuit of pleasure and the accumulation of more things. People who decided to walk away from the American or the Canadian dream and are now using a significant percentage of their business profits and their income to minister to and meet the needs of the less fortunate here in this city and also places around the world. If I'm describing you even in part, I thank God for you not only for the difference that you're making in, in our world, but for serving as a guiding light and inspiration to others who are trying to understand what it means to live all out for Jesus. We need to ask ourselves regularly, friends, am I a light that others can follow? Is my example, my lifestyle, my passion, my ministry, is it leading others to greater experience of Jesus and a greater commitment to Jesus? Or is my life actually leading them 
down this path of, toward greater apathy, of living a self-centered, pleasure-filled, possession-filled life. A light is meant to be seen. A light serves as a guide. And finally, a light serves as a warning. A living, living authentic Christian lives is very important. But being a light also involves speaking the truth in love. At some point, folks, we, we need to tell people that every person needs to make a decision about Jesus. And with the, with the utmost humility, love, and sensitivity, we need to warn them that avoiding this decision will result in them spending eternity forever separated from God in what the Bible refers to as hell. R.T. Kendall tells the story of a woman in California who believed it was unnecessary to tell people about her faith in Jesus. She was convinced that her only responsibility was to be a witness with her life. After several years, a fellow employee approached her and said, you know, you are different. What is it that's different about you? Let me guess. You're one of those vegetarians, aren't you? Church, there comes a time when we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within us and to clarify that it's just a little deeper than vegetarianism. In 1 Peter 2.9, the Apostle Peter says this about followers of Jesus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Notice he says we are called to declare, to speak about the Lord who has called us out of darkness. Peter reinforces this a chapter later in 1 Peter 3 verse 15 he says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But then notice what it says next. But do this with gentleness and respect. As important as it is that we be prepared to share our hope in Jesus, Peter stresses that it's also critical how we communicate the hope that we have. He tells us to be prepared to give an answer, which implies that we're really to be sensitive to where a person is at. And we're also to be sensitive to God's timing and to his prompting of whether we should share or not at this moment in time. And when we sense God prompting us to share the hope we have in Jesus, Paul challenges us to do so with gentleness and respect. Now, practically, folks, what that means is if you're sitting comfortably in a concert hall and the concert is about to begin and a fellow is slowly squeezing his way towards you through a myriad of people to get to the empty seat that's next to you and when he finally makes it to you and, and, and politely asks you pardon me sir is this seat saved 
Respecting him means you will not shout out Jim Carrey style, no, it's not saved, but the question is, are you saved? Paul says, share the hope you have in Jesus with gentleness and respect. You know, when I was attending university in Illinois, a fellow came on campus every couple of weeks to preach. He would stand on a soapbox, he would put a, grab hold of a megaphone in his hand, and he would go on for some time letting everyone know within earshot that they were sinners and that they were going to hell. Now what bothered me about that was not what he said because most of what he said was biblical. Neither was I bothered that he was speaking out in the open because I believe that God uses many different ways to get people's attention. What bothered me was the attitude that he displayed while he was preaching. The times that I heard him speak, he didn't speak to us. He yelled at us. Like he was angry, like he was mad at us. And he seemed to delight in telling us that we were going to hell. Friends, if we really love and care for people, then telling them the truth about the cost of sin and the reality of hell should bring tears to our eyes, not delight or anger. However and wherever God leads you to share the hope that you have in Jesus, please do so with humility, gentleness, and respect. You know, how we share is very important. But you know what's tragic today? Is that most Christians are so concerned that they not offend anyone or they say the wrong thing that they never share the hope that they have in Jesus at all. Have you ever wondered why that is? Is it really because we, we don't have the time? Is it really because we're afraid to offend others? Is it really because we don't feel equipped to communicate our faith with confidence? All of these may be factors, no, no doubt. But I believe the reason fundamentally is, is we, that we rarely share our hope that we have in Jesus is because we really aren't convinced that people need the Lord. We're really not convinced that God wants to use us, our example and our verbal witness, to influence the eternal trajectory of those in our sphere of influence. And here's why. Let me give you an example. Years ago, we lived in Chicago. And Gwen and I were part of a small group that was committed to reaching out to people in our neighborhood who were far from God and to sharing the hope that we have in Jesus with those that he directed us to. Within a, a few weeks, one couple that had joined our group announced to us that they were dropping out. And they gave two reasons. 
First of all, they were petrified at the idea of sharing their faith with anyone. They told us that they just weren't wired up for that, and, and frankly, they were somewhat shy and kind of timid. The second reason they gave us was that since they were both working, they just didn't have another evening to spare to meet with us. However, about six months later, this couple went through a remarkable transformation. Suddenly, overnight, they were no longer shy about their God. They began to talk with everyone about their God and why people needed their God in their life. Their commitment level was transformed as well. I don't know how they did it, but they found not one night, but several nights a week to invite neighbors and friends over to share the good news of their God. And boldness. We just couldn't get over it. This once shy and timid couple now confidently shared their belief in their God. There was only one problem. Their God wasn't the God of the Bible. Their God, the good news that they were sharing, wasn't about forgiveness and the importance of being right with God. No, their newfound God was a certain product. And the good news was how to achieve financial freedom through this particular product. I was dumbfounded. We were all dumbfounded. Just six months earlier, this couple felt totally incapable of sharing the hope they have in Jesus with anyone. And they were far too busy to devote even one evening to grow in their faith. So what really changed in the life of this couple? I believe what changed was their conviction. Oh, if you had asked them, they probably would have insisted that they still believed in the God of the Bible. But their trust and their affections and the focus of their lives were now centered on their counterfeit God. William Barclay has said, Surely there is no better description of a man's God than to say his God is the power in whom he trusts. And when a man puts his trust in material things, then material things have become not his support, but his God. This couple were convinced that this new counterfeit God was the way to true happiness and the fulfillment of their dreams and the fulfillment of other people's dreams as well. They were sold out to their new counterfeit God. And it brought enthusiasm, boldness, and a level of commitment such as they had never had before. Oh, friends. May God help us to be people of conviction. People who are passionate about the true and living God and the kingdom of God. Even as this couple was convinced of their counterfeit God and the kingdom of this world. May we be people 
who are convinced to the core of our being that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. May we be people whose hearts are broken by the things that break the heart of God. May we be people who are convinced to the core of our being that this world is not our home, that we're just passing through, and that the kingdom of this world will pass away, and that only what is done in the name of Jesus will last for eternity. May we be people who are convinced to the core of our being that people need the Lord and that we may be the only Jesus that they ever see. May we be people who are convinced to the core of our being that God wants to use our life and our verbal witness to change the eternal trajectory of those that we care about, people who are headed for a Christless eternity. And may we be people who are convinced to the core of our being that that is why we are here and not in heaven. I challenge us all to count the cost and then sign over the rest of our lives to the greatest cause ever given to man, to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please close your eyes and just bow your heads for a moment. In just a moment, we're going to be gathering around the Lord's table to celebrate and give thanks for his death and his resurrection. And you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus instructed his disciples that, that when they partake of the bread and of the cup, they're to look back for the purpose of giving thanks and remembering his suffering and his death for us all. He also said that when we partake of the bread and of the cup, we're to look ahead to his coming. In fact, in verse 26 it says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Jesus is coming again. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of His coming and of the urgency not only to live each day as if it were our last, but to pray for and to reach out to those in our sphere of influence who have yet to make their peace with God. And so I'd like us to take a moment right now and, we, and to thank Jesus again for making it possible through His death and resurrection for us to come in right relationship with our Heavenly Father but also bring to him those who are on your mind right now, who are in your sphere of influence, who need the Lord, and ask him to use you in some way to introduce them to Jesus. Let's pray together. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.